know, if I'm going to invest in something, I want it to make a difference. I want it to be important. I don't want my hard-earned whatever, whether it's my money, whether it's my time, to go for naught. I want something to be better because of whatever it was that I, I put my effort into or that I invested in. And this weekend, as we honor those who invested wholly in the United States way of life, it risk, and, and they risked or gave their lives for our freedom, it begs a question. What kind of return would they get on their investment today? I'm not talking about, you know, an investment of like $20 in a hat. I'm talking about giving their lives for Americans. While we have the freedom to choose living here, it's still allowed, we're still allowed to ask the question and maybe knowing that people invest their lives literally in our country, it, it allows us to ask the question, is our culture the best that it could be? Or do highlights from life, uh, you know, thinking about highlights being the, the kind of things that we get on the news, wherever we may see that, do those highlights say otherwise? And as Jesus was on his way out, his life was about to end, his ministry was about to end, he was about to be you know, going to, to the cross, he prays for the Father, his Father, to protect those whom he's invested in, his disciples. Now, there's a lot to his prayer out of John 17. We're going to look at a part of it, but that's what we're going to be focusing on, is the prayer that he gives to his disciples, particularly to Two-letter words that can frustrate us as people, but that can lead us back to how our country, the one our soldiers chose to invest their lives in, was originally designed. Where one person under God leads to one nation under God. Check out this part of his words, out of uh, Jesus' words, in John 17, verses 6 through 19. It reads like this. I have made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words that you gave to me, I have given to them, and they have received them, and know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am asking on their behalf, I am not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me, because they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them in your name that you had given me. I guarded them, and not one of them was lost except the one destined to be lost, so that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy made complete in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world... So I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself so that they may also be sanctified in truth. Now, I fully get there is a lot here in this prayer. Lots of people have, have written volumes about 
this one chapter. So if it's one of those things that you want a resource to study John 17, you buy the bookshelf first. But I want to zero in on verse 14 just to give us some place to, to draw something we can glean from rather than try and take on the whole thing. Verse 14 goes like this. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. This verse captures an idea that can drive people nuts as they try and wrap their heads around it. I know I've certainly done this myself, but this kind of dichotomy between being in the world but not of the world. How can two worlds create two words create such frustration? Just two letters each, in and of. Yet they make a world of difference. I imagine for a believer, at least, it's kind of like falling through ice on a lake. Fortunately, it's not an experience I've ever had, but I can imagine the just the math of how this works out. When you know what's above the ice, maybe you even see it. You know that the oxygen that's up there is good, that the lack of struggle to survive is good, but we're stuck underwater. There's a lot about the world we wish we could escape. It's not just a believer thing. You don't have to believe in God necessarily to desire out of this consistent hate or anger or fear that finds its way and permeates through our culture and all those feeds that give the highlights of life that we call the news, again, wherever you may see them. But like it or not, being in the world is our location. And being limited to that, being limited to just our location, that ends up being a good thing here. As, so long as our hearts are beating, we're not catching the next flight to Mars anytime soon. But God doesn't hold us, hold it against us for being in the world. In fact, God puts his best recruits in the world. Paul talks about the blessing of being, able, being taken into the third heaven, uh, you know, an existence very, very different than the world we know. It says it talks about this in 2 Corinthians 12. Guess what? God sends him back to continue the mission here on earth in the world. Uh, one of Jesus' closest disciples, one of his closest friends, Peter, he gets this mountaintop experience. We call it the transfiguration when he gets to see Jesus in all his glory. Out of Luke 9, as one place where it happens, and he wants to stay there. He just wants to camp out and, and relish in that moment. But he doesn't get to stay there. He has to go, which is back down into the world to minister to those that needed Jesus, that needed what they had. And even Jesus himself is not exempt from the idea of being in the world. As he had heaven for real. He got to live in heaven and as he prays, he knows he's going back. But, what do you, but he has been called to be in the world for a season. And as much as Jesus might like to pull his own from the world, to take his disciples that he has been investing in and just say, all right, guys, I'm going to save you from everything that's going to happen after I leave. I'm just going to take you all with me right now. We read in John 14, 3, when, when it says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. He gives people hope that he'll come back to get them, but he simply prays for now, simply prays God's protection over them. 
knowing the time has not come for him to pull them out of the world yet. He prays this in John 17, verse 15, when it goes like this. I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. So if the word in, or the preposition in, describes our location, something that is neither good nor bad, just kind of neutral, what's, what's the idea of being of the world? Well, of is kind of like the idea of where we get our information. Not just our location, that's neutral, but where we get our information, those things that influence us. When we are uh, making our drive back to Chicago, to go home, if you will, I'm often the one who takes the last hour. Um, and I get not only reminded as I'm crossing uh, the Indiana-Illinois border, I'm not only reminded that I'm entering a city where the population is measured in millions as opposed to thousands, but the highway going in for probably a good 45 minutes is just totally inundated with billboards. Every speck of sky is filled with some graphic telling you where you should go, who you should hire, what you should buy. I imagine, and some of the images, quite honestly, that are there to get some of the of those boards to stand out among, you know, amongst all the millions of billboards that are out there, I'm kind of glad the kids are often asleep at that point. So they're not seeing some of that stuff. Strange thing is, when we lived there, we, it barely caught our attention. We were just used to it. We, it was scary how desensitized we could get when we were just around it all day, every day. I'm not just talking about the kind of stuff that's like, which cell phone company was best? Jay Warner Wallace says, says it really well when he compares these two ideas. He says, I back off when I realize my point of location has become my source of information. I back off when I realize, I, I get aware when I realize that the point of location, where I am, becomes my source of information. So how do we live in a location here on earth without being transformed by in the information. In other words, how do we live in the world without being of the world? How do we live lives that are set apart? It's a simple definition of the word sanctified that Jesus uses in verse 17. He gives us a clue in verse 14a, uh, the first part of verse 14. I have given them your word. We have the word that's given to us to act as kind of a lighthouse, if you will, as we navigate the world. Something that can kind of give us some beacons along the way to make sure we're on the right path. So how does this work out? Well, first, what about if I illustrated the idea of living life without the word, without having this to kind of anchor ourselves? Life would be filled with all these squirrel moments, um, like the, the guard dogs in uh, the movie up, I believe, where it's like squirrel, 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 and we're just distracted by all the glitz and glamour of every new trending topic and every billboard that's passing us on the road. Every topic of angst, every mode of pleasure that the world comes up with are the new best greatest thing, and we're, we're just all over the place consuming all this information and being influenced by it. And it's like, to use my lighthouse idea, that we're just you know, a, a boat passively on the waves, just going wherever the world goes. And, and that doesn't necessarily lead anywhere good. We're more likely 
to fall for all the glitz and the glam. You know, it's been said, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Well, if we don't have something to anchor us, and for the believer, it's the word. And really for the unbeliever, hopefully it will become the word as they explore it. Um, the word gives us something to stand on. It gives us something to stand for and something to stand on. And when the world says, we hate this group today, or we think this idea is stupid, or we can check it against the word. We can check those ideas against the word and it grounds us in something solid rather than something that is fleeting or ever-changing or constantly changing the trends. Now note, here's something that, that's important. As we use this as sort of a, uh, a guidebook to get through or, or looking at, light, at it like a lighthouse as we navigate the world, try to come up with those analogies, none of them quite fit perfectly, but here's the point. We rarely get specifics from the word. From this angle, um, to approach how, what the word gives us, it's kind of like the word, the Bible, is principle-based. right? We can't give book, chapter, and verse for every conceivable situation that goes on in life. For example, uh, one scenario out of uh, Matthew 22, verse 39, goes like this. And the second greatest law is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now that's a principle. Okay, love your neighbor as yourself. Kind of a, a, an overarching theme to try and live by. Well, what does it look like to love our neighbor? Well, that will depend on the situation. And sometimes we may even come up with different ways that that plays out, depending on the circumstances and the situation. But we're guided by that principle, love your neighbor as yourself. That's why God gave us minds plus the Holy Spirit to work through that kind of stuff so that we can take what the word gives and apply it to the situation that we have. And such wisdom comes from being in the word regularly so that it is a part of us, so that it is the place we're getting the information and the influence. And that doesn't mean we have to be in Bible study 24-7 any more than we have to eat or sleep 24-7 in order to glean the benefits of eating or sleeping. But just like one healthy meal a month isn't going to do you a whole lot of good or one workout uh, a season isn't going to make you turn into somebody, into an, a world-class athlete, neither will checking out the Bible once a month. So here's my challenge to you. Wherever you may be on the, the faith spectrum, this is something that's not going to take you 24-7 to do. But this week, I challenge you to read one chapter of Bible each for each day of the week. I would honestly recommend um, the book of Psalms, which are worship prayers, or the Gospels. I'd probably recommend Luke or John, because those are more story and more um, episodes, if you will. There's some of the easiest places to glean wisdom in bite-sized pieces, uh, rather than having to know the whole backstory or something like that. The goal is it just start building or strengthening the habit of being in the Word regularly. Regularly is the, the key to that idea. And ultimately, it lets us make it a world, make a difference in the world that Jesus chose to invest in by giving His life for us. Let's pray together. 
Jesus, thank you for investing your life in us, for offering your life for us, for giving us, even after you departed from this location, for giving us the word that we might be able to be transformed more and more into into your image, into who you were. Help us to do that, regularly growing, bit by bit, through the work of your Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.